So this past summer, I built a house. I don't know if you knew that, but um, built a house. It was, it was pretty impressive, actually. It had high ceilings, um, had a really, really big yard, had an oceanfront view. I even had a moat around it to keep intruders away. And uh, it was a really, really sunny day. The, 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 the breeze was calm. Everybody was laughing, enjoying their time together. And I just stepped back and I thought, man, this is an impressive house. I built it all by myself too. And then about an hour later, the tide came in and it washed away my sandcastle. And I learned this, this very powerful lesson that my sandcastle could not withstand the pressure of the wind and the waves. It was good when the sun was shining. It was good when the breeze was calm. It was good when the tide stayed away. But when that storm came up, when those waves came in, it washed it completely away. Now, if we use this analogy for our lives, it's good when life is good. When the sun is shining and the kids aren't whining, life is good, right? Like things are good at work. Things are good with family. Things are good when it comes to the weather getting nicer, right? So how are you doing today? You doing okay? You feel good? You feel stressed out? You feel anxious about anything? I hope things are going well for you. We do need sunny days. We need days of, of downtime and days of refreshment. But I do have news for you that the storm is coming. The storm is on its way, um, whether you like it or not. And the question that I want to deal with today is simply this. How do we build a storm-proof life? How do we build a storm-proof life? Because, again, the storms are coming whether we like it or not. How do we build the kind of life that when things hit you, when you least expect it, that you're not going to crash and burn? All right. So if you are new today, if you haven't been around for a while, we've been going through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So this is Matthew chapter 7. He's given us the teachings of what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. We call this Kingdom characteristics, right? Kingdom characteristics. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, this is what it looks like. So I, this past week, I um, read the entire Sermon on the Mount. It took me about 14 minutes to read it. I thought about reading the whole thing to you today, but then I thought, well, that would take too long and people are watching your kids. So I'll just give you kind of a nutshell version of what Jesus taught as he got up on the mountainside that day and looked upon the dozens and dozens, maybe even hundreds of people who had gathered together to hear Jesus give this most extraordinary teaching. Right? So this is not an exhaustive list of the things that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. These are simply some of the highlights from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus would say, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. In other words, when you show up in a room, seek to be a blessing, not seek to be blessed. Seek to be a ray of sunshine in somebody's life. Jesus talked about anger, right? And he'd said, you had heard it was said, do not, uh, you know, do not uh, hate people or, or do not, you know, show revenge to people. I tell you, you shouldn't even show anger to your brother because it's better to live an anger-free life than to be consumed by hatred or anger. Jesus talked about the blessings of living a guilt-free life as opposed to living a guilty life. He had this incredible moment in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, look, if you show up at the temple with a, a little animal and you're ready to sacrifice it and you remember, oh, my brother's got something against me, you should actually take that animal and put it down on the ground and risk that it'll actually run away or fly away 
and get out of line and go reconcile things with your brother. And then you can come back in line and offer your gift at the altar because it's better to live a guilt-free life than a guilty life. It's better to love other people than to hold on to anger or to hurt other people. He would talk about the fact that it's better to have a pure mind. He'd say, you've heard it was said. Do not commit adultery. We know that's in the Ten Commandments. Don't commit adultery. But I tell you, if you even look at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart because Jesus knew that a pure mind was better than an impure mind. Jesus would talk about the fact that if someone slaps you on the cheek, you should turn the other cheek. You've heard it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you that it's better to, to turn the other cheek He'd say, if somebody wants you to go one mile, carry their equipment one mile, you should go the extra mile. Jesus talked about generosity and said, give to the needy. He said, bless other people with your stuff because where your treasure is, your heart will follow. He'd say, don't be a hypocrite. Don't pray so that, you know, you can impress other people. But go into your room where it's quiet so that you can have a conversation with God. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Don't be a hypocrite. Jesus would say, don't worry. It's better to live a worry-free life and trusting in the Lord than to be all spun up on the worries of this world. Jesus would say, don't walk around with a plank in your own eye trying to get the speck out of your brother's eyes. It's better to show compassion. It's better to deal with your own sin before you try to deal with the sin of somebody else. And then he talked about discerning, and Isaac talked about this last week, that there will be false teachers that will say things like, look, if they hurt you, you should hurt them back. You should get revenge, right? It's, it's just natural to live a life that's consumed by worry or if everything that comes into your hand, all the stuff that you get, all the financial resources that you get, just keep them for yourself because you earned it, right? There's false teaching out there. So Jesus says you need to be discerning when false teachers arrive. And so now Jesus is done with the Sermon on the Mount. He's gonna, or he's gonna give a final teaching. He's gonna give a parable to illustrate a very, very important truth at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. Here's what Jesus said, Matthew 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, that is not what Jesus said. Matter of fact, if that's what Jesus said, I'd be a real wise man. (laughs) If that's what Jesus said, in other words, all we need to do is hear the words of Jesus hear the sermons, read the devotionals, listen to the podcast. If that made me wise, man, I would be a lot wiser than I am today. But Jesus says, it's not about simply hearing the word. Jesus said it like this, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So here's the word picture that Jesus is using. Our house is a a representative of our lives, right? And the foundation of our lives is not the word of God. Okay, let me say that again. The foundation of our lives is not the word of God. The foundation of our lives is obedience to the word of God. It's putting the word of God into practice. And if your foundation, if your rock... The foundation of your life 
is putting the Word of God into practice when the rains come and the streams rise and the winds blow and beat against that house. Now, let's pause for a second. You ever go up to somebody and say, hey, I know you lost somebody that you loved. How are you doing? Or you say, hey, I know you've been struggling with anxiety. How's life going? Hey, I know you've been wrestling with anger. How's it going? And sometimes they'll respond by saying this. Well, it kind of comes in waves, right? Like, I'll be doing all right. I'm driving down the road, and then I hear that song, and I'm reminded of my girlfriend who just dumped me. Right? Or I'm driving down the road and everything's good and it's calm. And then I hear that song and it reminds me of that person and I just start to get angry. Right? Or things are good. I'm walking the dog or I'm playing in the backyard with my kids. And then that thought will just hit me. So it comes in ways. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes I'm a calm. Sometimes it's peaceful. And then boom, I get hit with a wave. It's kind of like if you've ever been in the in the ocean, I go there every summer, and I'll, I'll be in the, I'll my feet like firmly planted on the bottom of the ocean floor, right? And it's just calm. The sun is shining. None of the kids are whining. And there's a slight breeze throwing a football around with my brothers. The life is good. And then all of a sudden, you see this wave's coming. And, it, it, and you're just like, ooh, ooh, that hurt. That hurt. That's all right. I'm okay. I'm okay. And then you're playing. And then another wave hits you like, ooh, that one was a little bit more intense, Sometimes you can see the wave coming from a distance and you can really get yourself, or you're like, oh, that's a big wave. I'm getting out of the ocean and you walk onto the beach till the wave passes. Sometimes you can ride the wave. Sometimes the wave gets you and you go tumbling and you get up and you're covered with seashell and sand. It just, you get, you get hit by waves when you least expect it. Sometimes it's okay. Sometimes it dings you, right? It's like if you got your house built on the rock, you're going to still get hit with waves, you're going to still get hit with wind, and sometimes you're going to need to get patched up a little bit, like repair some shingles, maybe do a little paint job, maybe get out of the water for a while, you know, and just kind of get rested up or see some counseling. But sometimes it, it's just like the waves. They, they come and go, and sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's wavy. But still, Jesus says, when the rain comes down and the streams rise up, the winds blow and they beat against that house. You may suffer a beating. You may get hit by those waves, but it's not going to fall because your house had its foundation on the rock. The rock being not simply hearing the words, but doing them, obeying the words of Christ. Now he gives the second example. He says this, but... Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And when you build your house on sand, which is easier, takes less time, not as much work, when you build your house on sand, it's good when the sun's shining. It's good when things are calm. But eventually, the rain's going to come down. And the streams are going to rise and the wind is going to blow and beat against that house and it's going to fall with a great crash. And then Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount. So thanks for being here today at our worship service. So grateful that you're here. We'll get you out of here, you know, 40 minutes early. And that's how Jesus ends it and he walks off and 
here's the picture, and this is, this is a warning, right? He ends the Sermon on the Mount with a significant warning. He says, if you don't obey these words of mine, you're going to be okay when the sun's shining, but the waves are going to keep beating, and the, the water's going to rise, and the wind's going to hit it, and eventually you're going you're to crash and burn. You're going to fall off a cliff. So you need to make sure that your life is on a firm foundation. Now, here's what's interesting about this parable is that both of these houses experienced similar storms. They both experienced similar storms. One of them was able to withstand the storm. The other fell off the cliff. And you know, one of the biggest deceptions that we so easily believe is that my suffering is unique, right? Like I know you're, you know, you're trying to relate. My suffering's different. Like I know you're stressed out, but I, I have a really good reason to stress. My, my suffering has never been experienced by anyone else in the world. And we kind of know that's not true, but sometimes that's the way we think. I'll give you an illustration uh, from my own life. So every once in a while, I wake up at three o'clock in the morning and I can't get back to sleep. And I start like, you know, whether it's something at home or something at the church or it's a situation or it's a person, and I'll start having like an imaginary conversation, which I always like, you know, tell the person off in my imaginary conversation, you know, and then the adrenaline starts going, you're like, oh, no, 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 no. No, you're like, oh, God, please help me to fall back asleep because I got summer blast this week and I got to deal with all these kids. And if I'm exhausted, it's not going to go well. By the way, I, one of the reasons I like to teach Bible at summer, class, summer blast, it always reminds me of how difficult it is to be a teacher. So those of you who are school teachers, you're homeschooled, I have a new, renewed respect for you every year at Summer Blast. And I, there was one Summer Blast, I, I woke up at three in the morning like two or three times that week and I couldn't fall back asleep and I was just, it's just exhausted. So anyway, this would happen from time to time and then I'd go talk to somebody and I'd say, hey, you ever wake up at three o'clock in the morning and can't fall back asleep? And they would say, nah, it never happens to me. Like, yeah, I get up, go to the bathroom, then I go back into bed and I fall asleep right away. And I'm like, and now I'm mad at you. So I'm mad at God because I can't get back to sleep. I'm mad at the person who I had the imaginary conversation with. And now I'm mad at all the people who can't relate to my pain. And then I go find someone else. Can you, do you ever wake up at three o'clock? No, I can't relate. One day I went to this, this pastor's conference. I'm talking to these pastors. They're like, no, it's never really happened to me. And it just makes it even worse, right? Because I, I believe I'm the only one experiencing my pain and my frustration and my anger. We believe the lie. And we believe that our situation is unique. Interestingly, I learned of this pastor named Steve Cuss. It's a funny last name. His last name's Cuss. And he talks about anxiety. He's kind of an expert with anxiety. And I've been listening to him a lot recently. And yesterday I was ironing my clothes, getting ready for a wedding. And I put on a YouTube clip where he was being interviewed by another pastor. And the pastor asked Steve Cuss, he said, hey, what about those of us who wake up at like three o'clock in the morning and can't fall back asleep because we're, we're all spun up with anxiety or having imaginary conversations? And I don't even, I didn't even listen to what Steve Cuss said in the moment. And in that moment, I was just filled with hope because I was like, I'm not the only pastor that wakes up at 3 o'clock in the morning and struggles with these things, right? And then eventually what Steve Cuss said was, hey, sometimes you have a sleepless night. No big deal. It's a human experience. Just move on. And after that little time, I just was filled with hope because I knew that my experience wasn't unique, 
that there were other people who experienced the same wind and the waves. So you've got two houses, two lives, both experiencing the same wind, waves, and storm. One falls over, topples over, crashes into the sea, and the other one stays strong. And the way that you stay strong is by doing what Jesus tells us to do, not simply by being hearers only. Now, interestingly, there is one person who experienced suffering that no one else experienced. And that person is, of course, Jesus, who was perfectly innocent. The only one who actually had the right to practice righteous anger because he was the only one who was righteous. The only one who actually had the right to be judgmental because he didn't walk around with a plank in his eye and didn't even walk around with a speck in his eye because he was perfect. And yet Jesus, rather than condemning us, went to the cross for us to set us free from anger and guilt and self-righteousness and hypocrisy. So Jesus gets done with this teaching, right? And he's done. It's, it's the end of the Sermon on the Mount. There's a warning. Don't be like the man who builds his house on sand. Maybe he just walks away. We don't know, but Matthew tells us that when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. The crowd was like, wow. That's different. Wow, that's, that's amazing. You say, why were the crowds so amazed at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount? Well, Matthew tells us because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. See, Jesus perfectly practiced what he taught. And Jesus lived in a context where the religious leaders were always looking at the people with a finger saying, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to get better, stop doing this. And they were constantly weighing the people down with burdens. We see just a couple chapters later, Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed, harassed by the religious leaders and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus stepped in to be different. Jesus stepped in to give them hope, to fill them with hope in the midst of feeling so downtrodden. Fast forward several chapters later, and it says that Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. So here's what he meant. If you were a Jewish person in Jesus' days and you would go to the synagogues on Saturday, you'd be gathered in that place, kind of like we're gathered today, and the Pharisee or the religious leader would stand up and he would grab a scroll and he would read from one of the prophets, Isaiah or another section of scripture. Then he'd put the scroll back down and he would sit down on Moses' seat and exposit the scriptures. So Jesus says, you must obey everything they tell you, or you must obey and do everything they tell you, which is interesting, right? He's telling the people, that the Pharisees have good teaching. They have good theology. They have good doctrine. They're teaching the word of God, so you should do what they tell you to do, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. And when you don't practice what you preach, that's known as hypocrisy. And when you don't practice what you preach, you lose authority. 
And what the Pharisees would do is they'd walk around and again, they'd point their fingers and they'd say, you're not good enough. You keep falling short. You need to be like me. And, and what they were doing, as Jesus said, is they're tying up heavy loads. They're putting them on men's shoulders, but they themselves, they're not even willing to lift a finger to move them because there's no compassion, there's no kindness, there's no forgiveness, there's just do, do, do. So Jesus says, don't, don't, don't be like that. And so he had a different kind of authority. I mean, at one point, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus says, I've come to give you life. Every time Jesus had a conversation with someone, he was compassionate towards them, except for when the Pharisees were self-righteous and hypocritical. Okay, fast forward years later, James, the brother of Jesus, wrote a letter to the early church taking his cues from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount when he said, build your life on the rock. Here's what James said. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. If you just listen to it, if you just take in the sermon, if you just read the devotional, if you just listen to the podcast but you don't apply it, you've actually deceived yourself. If you walk away thinking, well, I've had a good spiritual experience, I've you know, read the scriptures and listened to the sermon, but you don't have any intention of actually doing what it says, you've, you've deceived yourselves. And we have a pretty high capacity to deceive ourselves, right? Because we have hearts that are deceptive. And then he gives an illustration. He says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. You know what a purpose of a mirror is? It's so that you would look in that mirror and you would say, ooh, ooh, I got to do something about that. I got to shave. I got to put some concealment on, maybe some more foundation. I got to fix that. If you just look in a mirror and notice that you've got some shortcomings and then you just walk away, you've wasted the purpose of a mirror. Why'd you even look in the mirror? Right, so last Saturday... About eight, not yesterday, but the day Saturday before, I was doing some yard work, and I had a bunch of sticks in my backyard, a bunch of branches, cut some branches down, made a little fire in my fire pit, put the branches in there, was burning all this wood, had a branch that was about twice as long as the fire pit, and so half of it was burning, the other half was not, so I picked up the branch, and I turned it to get it in the fire, and as I was turning it, I, the hot, sharp end, I stabbed myself in the chin. And I was like, oh, that hurt. So, you know, ne next day, Sunday morning, I looked in the mirror, and I was like, ooh, I'm not preaching today. No big deal. So I walked away from the mirror, and I, I forgot about it. I didn't do anything about it. I forgot about it, and I came to church, you know, and nobody mentioned anything about it until the very end of the day. Everyone else went home. I was talking to this friend, and she goes, what happened to your chin? And I was like, oh, no, now i got to tell her the story. Now, if it were a story like a bear came into the yard and I wrestled the bear and killed the bear with my own hands and protected the kids, but he got, he got me on the chin a little bit, that'd be a story I wanted to tell, but not like stabbing myself with a hot branch in the chin. And I had to go ahead and tell her the story. But what's the point of me telling that? The point is, when you look in the mirror, you do something about it. Otherwise, 
You've wasted your time. And most of you, when you got up this morning, you looked in the mirror and you were convicted. You were convicted and you said, I got to do something about this because I'm about to go see some people. And so you made some changes, right? You made some changes. James says, if you just look at the word and you notice, oh, I got an issue with anger. Oh, I got an issue with selfishness. I got an issue with guilt. I got an issue with hypocrisy. I'm judging people too much. And you don't do anything about it? Why'd you read the word to begin with, right? But the man who looks intently into the perfect law, and in this case, the Sermon on the Mount, which we would say is the perfect law, the teaching of Christ. I'm looking intently into it. And here's the good news. This is so good. That perfect law, it doesn't weigh you down. That perfect law actually gives you freedom. The Sermon of the Mount is intended to give you freedom. Let me illustrate this, okay? Let's go back to this, this narrow road that Jesus says. Broad is the road that many will enter, but narrow is the road, and few will find it. But when you find it, you'll experience more freedom. That's why we say there's freedom in Christ. Because an anger-free life is better than an anger-filled life. A lust-free life is better than a lustful life. A reliable life means you'll have more friends because you'll be more reliable. A guilt-free life is better than a guilty life, right? A greed-free life, when I say, okay, God's blessed me with these things, I'm going to keep part of it for myself and I'm going to give away part of it to other people and I'm not going to allow the hooks of greed to get into my life because where my treasure is, my heart will follow. That's a better life. That's a better life. Hypocrisy-free life. Integrity. I'm not trying to impress other people. I'm not trying to impress God with my spirituality. I've got integrity. That's a better life. That's a freedom-filled life. When I'm not consumed by worry, and I'm not always like, oh, I'm worried about what people think. I'm worried about where my next meal is going to come from. I'm worried. I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried. That, that's a miserable life. Jesus says it's better when you take the plank out of your own eye and you have compassion towards other people than always trying to take the speck out of other people's life. Jesus says you stare at this. You stare at the perfect law long enough so that you realize where your sin is. You confess it to God. You receive the forgiveness of Christ and you walk in freedom. You walk in freedom. That's the purpose of the perfect law. James says, but the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. That's the good life. It's not, it's not always an easier life because building on the rock is harder than building on the sand. Going through the narrow road is harder than the wide road, but it's a better life and it's a freedom-filled life that Jesus offers us. Quick, um, Wednesday night, I gave this teaching to the middle school. And I said, yeah, I said, I said, building on the rock is hard. And I was getting all fired up, getting all pumped up. And I said, and who is the rock? And someone shouted out, Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Dwayne Johnson is the rock. But building on the rock is hard. Now, I'm not a builder. I see some of you builders out here, right? So we've got some great builders in this church. I'm not a builder, but I'm guessing that it would be easier to build a house on sand 
And it would be easier to build a house that can withstand 70 degree temperatures and no wind and no rain. Am I right about that? Building on the rock is harder, but it withstands the pressures of life that are coming your way whether we want it or not. So, are we going to just be hearers of the word or are we going to be doers of the word? We want to live a life that is durable. We know that Paul says, look, we, we don't labor in vain because we know that Jesus has defeated death. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. We want to be people who have a durable faith, that don't have to lose our faith or deconstruct our faith when a false teacher goes and says a bunch of lies that we're tempted to believe. We want to be people who have a strong foundation, not because we've simply heard the words, but because we've done it, we've put it into practice, and we've experienced the freedom that Christ wants to offer us. So let me give you just some practical application here. Number one, let me just talk to those of you who are Bible teachers. This might not apply to everyone, but it applies to those of you who are teaching the Bible. Maybe you're teaching chapel or teaching children's church or youth group or you're sharing a devotion. Here's what you should do when you teach. You should focus on one big idea, not two, not three. One big idea. So, for example, the big idea today is be doers of the word, not hearers of the word. And then you give as much application as you can come up with. I've always said when you teach... You should teach in such a way that when a middle school parent picks up their child and says, what'd you learn tonight? That middle schooler should be able to say in one phrase what they learned. Because it's not about information. It's about application. Right? Second idea. When you read your devotions, like some of us are going through the 60 days of scripture uh, on the YouVersion Bible app. And this was Tuesdays. Can you guys read that? Yeah, you got that. So this is a lot of scripture. There's a lot of action steps there. And when I get done with reading Ephesians 4, I'm, I'm honestly a little bit overwhelmed because I'm like, oh, that's a lot to apply. So what I did is I, I said, okay, what's, what's one truth I can apply to my life? And I focused on this verse right here, which was a great blessing to me. Be completely humble and gentle instead of harsh instead of mean, instead of getting angry at the kids or whomever. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And if I could just take that verse and pray through it and try to apply it to my life, that's a bigger win than reading the entire book of Ephesians. You're better off applying one verse of Scripture than reading the entire Bible and not applying any of it. Because you could have a lot of knowledge, but if you don't have practice... Your, your house is built on sinking sand. Here's another one. There's often a gap between information and transformation. We, we live in a society where we've got tons of information. We've got podcasts. We've got lots of sermons that you could listen to, YouTube. We are inundated with information. But often there's a gap between transformation. It's like I read all these books and I listen to it, but I still struggle with the same old thing. So oftentimes what can fill that gap in is accountability. Right, where you got somebody in your life, maybe it's a spouse or a friend, where that person can look at you and say, how are you doing with your anger issue? How are you doing with your worry? And then you can talk it out. I mean, that's why we do church together. 
so that we can provide accountability for one another. Because it's so often that we fill our heads with information and then nothing ever happens as a result. This is why we're doing growth groups. You know, if you go to our website and you look at these growth groups, and I look at this list, right, and some of you look at it, and you're like, I need all of those classes. <laughs> but none of us have enough time, and there aren't enough days in the week. But is there one thing you can focus on? One thing where you look at that list and you say, you know what? I think I need help in my marriage. Yeah, I need help in all this, but I think I'm going to spend some time focusing on my marriage or my parenting, or my, my thoughts are just all jumbled up and I've got toxic thinking. I just need to focus on my thoughts. So would you, would you sign up for a growth group? We say here at Beartown Road, we want you to do three things, Sunday morning worship, small group or growth group, and then serve on a ministry team. Less is more. Focus, application is better than information. Isn't it true that knowledge, it does impress us? I mean, we've been around people who have a lot of knowledge, and you're like, well, that guy's a lot of knowledge. You feel a little, a little bit intimidated around some of those people. Man, they got a lot of Bible knowledge. They know a lot of theology. They can quote a lot of verses. That is impressive. Knowledge impresses, but isn't it true that obedience blesses? I mean, the people who are the greatest blessing in your life are not people with lots of knowledge. The people who are the greatest blessing in your life are the people who do what Jesus tells us to do. People that are willing to sit with us and just not talk about themselves the whole time, but actually ask you questions about your own life and try to inspire you and encourage you. It's not about knowledge. It's about obedience. Doing makes all the difference. So don't simply be hearers of the word, but be doers. Because isn't it true? The storm's coming. Storm's coming. I mean, we would love to believe that it's going to be good from here on out. Those of you who just got married, you want to have kids, the storm is coming. Right? It's coming. And you're not going to be able to fend it off. The waves are coming. So, are you built on the rock? You got a relationship with Jesus? The wolf is coming, and he's going to try to huff and puff and blow your house down. But you can look at the wolf in the eyes and say, not today, Mr. Wolf. Not today, because I got a house made of brick, and I've been putting a little brick down day by day as I've obeyed these truths that I come across on a daily basis. You, you can keep on blowing, Wolf. You can keep on telling me lies. You can keep on giving me information of why I should deconstruct my faith or why I should lose my faith or why I should abandon the faith altogether. You can keep on bringing that, Wolf. But I got my house built on the rock. I got my house built on something stronger and more durable than any other teaching you want to give me. I got my house built on the rock. I got my house built on something strong, not something flimsy, not something that's going to be here today and go away tomorrow. I got myself built on something that's been alive and well for 2,000 years. I got myself built on a life where the rock was rolled away and a dead man came back to life and walked out of an open tomb. And that rock is my rock. And that rock says, you want to have a life that's built on the rock? Just do what I say and it'll be a better life. Not always an easier life.
but it'll be a better life. And you'll get more freedom and you'll have more peace. And you'll be a blessing to other people. So keep on getting knowledge. Keep listening to the podcast and the sermons. That's good. Keep on getting more knowledge. But what's most important is that you would apply the truth of God's word and you would start to see it transform your heart so that you could be a blessing to other people. One day, this is recorded in Luke's gospel, one day Jesus is, he's given a teaching and because every time Jesus taught, people were amazed. They didn't always understand what he said, but they were amazed. One day, this lady's in the back of the audience and, and she says, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. Jesus, you are amazing. Your words are phenomenal. This is the best sermon I ever heard. And Jesus doesn't say, I appreciate that encouragement. Thank you so much. That means a lot to me. Here's what he said. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Not blessed are those who hear the word of God. Not blessed are those who sit under lots of teaching, but blessed are those who hear it and do it. Because if you only hear it and don't do it, you've actually deceived yourself. And if you just hear it and don't do it, when the storms come, you're going to fall off the cliff. But our faith is more durable than that. The Word of God is stronger than that. So let's not simply be hearers. Let's be doers. Let's do it. Let's do what Jesus tells us to do, no matter how difficult it is. Because that, my friends, will bring you more freedom. John and Bryce are going to come up right now, and they're going to play a song for us to just listen to. It's a song about this truth that our firm foundation is in practicing the Word of God. just want to give you a minute right now to be silent before the Lord, to just allow you to reflect on these truths. Maybe pray to God that he would give you the strength to do it because this is a lot easier to talk about than to actually do. It's a lot more fun to actually give this sermon than to actually do it. (laughs) So I just want to give you a moment to go before the Lord and say, God, give me the strength. Forgive me for not doing it. Forgive me for allowing anger to take hold of my life. Forgive me for being a hypocrite. Forgive me for being judgmental. Forgive me for putting loads on my kids' shoulders that had no business being there in the first place. Forgive me for being greedy. Forgive me for being selfish. I want the good life. I want the freedom, the freedom life. No matter how much it costs me, God, would you forgive me? Would you give me the strength to live this out? Because you have come to give me an abundant life. So just take a minute and pray to the Lord for the strength to live out the good life that he offers to you. And then they'll play a song that you can listen to. And then they'll ask us to stand to sing a song that was written decades ago that has stood the the test of time about the rock of Christ. Let's pray together.